Hi, everyone. This evening, which is actually tomorrow morning on the other side of the world in Australia, which is where my guest is from. And my very special guest today is a fellow leader and author. He reached out to me, shared with me his book on leadership, and I shared my book on leadership, and we both read each other's books and listened to each other's books. So our conversation today is probably going to be around some of those themes. And now I would love to invite Brian to introduce yourself and say a few initial words. Thank you, Mansur. It's a delight to be here. I'm excited to be part of your program and really admire the work that you're doing with just being an evangelist for cybersecurity and supporting the people. You're fulfilling your mission of helping people succeed. I see that from your book. We'll talk about that a bit later, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, look, uh, as you've detected already from my accent, I'm not from the US, I'm from Australia. I'm actually based in Melbourne in Australia. And as you said, it's Thursday morning, so I'm pleased to report that everything has turned out well. The world is still going. I'm an executive coach and um, a speaker and author. My passion is leadership. I suppose it comes from having worked in the tech sector for 40 plus years. You see all this gray hair here? Man, well, so at least you have hair, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, some of that's from working in the tech sector and all of the lessons I've learned along the way. I was particularly passionate all my career really about leadership. And I always worked with technical people. One of the biggest telcos in Australia was, uh, I was an executive with them and as a CEO of a not-for-profit also in the tech sector. And I was always seeing this uh, transition that people make through their careers. And no doubt you've seen it and your listeners and viewers will have seen it too, that you start out your career in some technical specialty area. Mm -hmm. And then there's a transition generally that people go through, and often it's a transition into leadership. And I often saw that there was a few speed bumps along the way for people in that transition. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been used to solving technical problems, and now really as a leader, your job is not to solve all the problems anymore, it's to get results through other people. Mm-hmm. And it was often a difficult transition for many people. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't always called coaching, but I was often helping them Mm-hmm. get their message across, influence their stakeholders, mm-hmm. bring their teams along with them, influence their management. Mm-hmm. You know, lots of different ways that they needed to build their influence. Mm-hmm. And so I've distilled all that uh, thinking and the work I've been doing the past uh, 15 years or so as an executive coach, uh, specializing in that area. So that's really my mm-hmm. sweet spot, uh, Mansur, is to work with technical leaders who've transitioned into leadership and want to build their influence. The book I've uh, written is called Leadership is Changing the Game. Mm-hmm. I know that we can talk a little bit more about that, but the essential thesis of it is that the leaders need to build their influence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So not just get a little bit better at influencing others, you've got to get exponentially better. Mm-hmm. I've described an influence curve that they need to go up as they get increasingly more influential, up, down, sideways. Mm-hmm. All directions, influence their vendors, influence their teams, influence their management, mm-hmm. boards even now as cyber becomes so prominent. Mm-hmm. It's really all about influence and we can talk a little bit more about that if you like, but that's a little snapshot of me. I'm, as you can tell, I'm passionate about uh, leadership. Your I really passion think, clearly yeah. shows. That's the beauty <laughs> of it. And, and I, Everything I think, boils down to leadership. I think that is a very common foundation that we both have 
And that is probably why your book resonated with me quite a bit, because I was saying, okay, here's a person on the other side of the world, pretty much trying to solve similar kinds of problems. You also recognize it's all about digital strategy today, but the biggest problem is that the digital strategists are often not able to bring everybody else. They're so used to solving the problems at a technical level that they still want to do that even though they may rise in authority. And part of the problem, this is one of the things that I would love to get your take on that. I think part of the problem, at least in the United States that I've seen, is the culture because we often equate leadership with a position and authority. And you may have seen that in my cybersecurity leadership book. I don't know if you experienced that one. I saw that people did not understand that management and leadership are two different things because leadership doesn't mm. come from a role. Yeah. Everybody on my team was always a leader. I expected that. Everybody that I always interact with, whether they're a student or whatever, are always leaders. What are some of your thoughts and what, do you, what things do you want to talk about? That's a great start, uh, Mentor. I think uh, I often get asked that question. You know, what's the difference between leadership and management? Mm -hmm. I think it essentially boils down to the title of my book. The title of the book is Leadership is Changing the Game. Mm -hmm. But really that's saying, it's saying that the job of the leader is to take us somewhere new. The job of the manager is to keep things going and look, don't for a minute say we don't need that. We need people who can keep things operating and keep it operating smoothly. But really, history is littered with examples of businesses that were well-managed, but didn't change the game. Right. They were well-managed over the cliff. I love that simplistic definition. The definition that I was typically using is that leaders are more interested in the outcome, whereas managers are more interested in the process. But you also define it in a slightly different way, which is also terrific, because management is more interested in the status quo. Yes. Leadership is interested in where are we going? Future. Let's reinvent it. Innovation, right? Correct. And uh, I think there's going to be a market for those kind of leaders, those kind of leaders who can take us somewhere new. And particularly in cyber, such a rapidly changing field. And as companies become increasingly dependent on technology, they introduce more and more risks. Mm -hmm. well, I think the prominence of uh, cyber people is going to rise. Yes, Again, I believe that both the philosophy that you're coming from and the aspects that I come from, these two kinds of books should be helping the executives of the world, the type of executives that we need. Because part of the problem is that many of the companies, their doom, although predetermined because they were not changing, took a longer time. I sincerely believe that because the pace of technological change is now geometric, the demise of companies are also likely to going to be much more rapid because of lack of innovation. And I'm actually right now, I'm seeing that in academia. Academia was very slow to change over the last 40 years. And then this pandemic hit and all those people that never did a digital strategy, never had online, I believe about 25 to 30% of academic institutions, at least in the United States are going to go out of business. Interesting. Yes, that's a great example. Yes. And really, you know, if I give some examples from history, you might remember, you'd be aware there was a company called Digital Equipment Corporation, oh, yeah. DEC. I had friends yeah, very, there. <laughs> okay. There's a very famous company making 
making billions of dollars even in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. And their business was based around mainframe computing mm -hmm. and really failed a couple of times to reinvent as their personal computing became more uh, obvious as the next technology, mm -hmm. didn't reinvent fast enough. And it was, it was a company that was very well managed. Mm -hmm. It was held up as a Harvard case study in business courses. This is how you manage a business. Yep. Kodak's another good example. Yeah. So these are sort of major examples, but throughout my career, I've seen it happen a number of times. It, it happens in professions where people don't reinvent themselves, job titles get lost. And uh, so the job of the leader is to be constantly reinventing. And in cyber, there's a, there's a great field, I think. I liken it a bit, uh, Mansoor, again, you would have recalled the rise of the chief financial officer. Oh, God. That was the you know, deadliest uh, thing that happened to companies. <laughs> yeah. I love that. But, but, you know, prior to the mid 70s, you didn't have a CFO. You had yeah. a finance manager. Correct. And but we should go back to that because who would ever think that running a company from a finance strategy would be a winning strategy? Because the whole <laughs> concept yeah. that yeah. chief financial officers rule a company with is reducing costs. And they're literally destroying companies left and right all the time. That's yeah, what they're literally. doing to the universities today. They're laying uh, off faculty. They're laying off program chairs thinking that these people are expenses. Well, anytime you lay off a prominent faculty or a program chair with a personal brand, you also lose millions of dollars of revenue, even though you yes. might save 200,000 if at a very generous salary level. You might save 200, but you have lost 30, 40 million dollars in the process. That's what's I happening. Know, I, know, I know. But look, the genie's out of the bottle. And uh, I think what I was uh, thinking, though, is that for the cyber, there's a similar rise, I think. You know, you're seeing the rise of the chief information security officer. Yeah. You know, the chief is in the title now. Mm -hmm. And along with that goes a greater expectation that uh, you'll be able to influence at all kinds of levels at C suite and mm -hmm. board level team level, vendors and partners, that chief really means there's a leadership expectation. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that everyone that is in cyber who you don't have the title chief today, but you know, if you're interested in that kind of leadership growth, there's a, there's a huge market opportunity there, mm -hmm. I think. So to be building your leadership capability now and the kinds of things you talk about, helping people succeed mm -hmm. in uh, bringing out their greatness, I think is a good start. Let's talk about the process of writing and publishing, because I think many of our listeners would want to know, how do I write my own book? How do I publish? What was your yeah. process like over there? Yes. Well, it took me over a year to write. I really did it. You know, how do you eat an elephant uh, one bit at a time? So mm -hmm. I tended to write pieces of it and then put that out in my blog. And I have a regular blog that I put those kind of thoughts out and just see how that landed and mm -hmm. what people thought about that. So it wasn't like I sat down one day and said, I'm going to write a book and then came out several months later with the book. It was really a process of market testing, breaking it down into smaller bits mm -hmm. and drawing on the stories from my coaching sessions with people. This I'm anonymized, so I, I don't mention people's specific names unless they... Uh, gave me permission to do that. It's often confidential. Mm -hmm. But trying to tell the stories of people's kinds of breakthroughs, the things that they achieved that they didn't think were possible, really. Mm -hmm. 
And that sort of inspired me to keep going with those stories, uh, Mansoor, and mm-hmm. breaking it down and, and testing it. Probably the And then after the you wrote things. it, what, what kind of impact did you see among your readers? Did you get feedback and stuff like that about that? I did. It's got a marvelous credibility that people think, okay, well, you see, you've distilled all those things that you've learned from working with people and coaching people and put that into a book. So when we're talking, it's a great thing to say, well, here's some more about what I'm talking about, what I'm on about, and have a copy of the book. It's a really fabulous way of people kind of sit up and think, oh, okay, there's a, a body of work that goes here, not just a couple of ideas I dreamed up on the way to the meeting. <laughs> no, your book is actually very well organized. That is why I was fascinated by it, because I saw that it was very much mirroring some of my ideas, but just had a different spin, different kinds of case yeah. studies and things like that. But the ideas were all similar. In other words, you were still searching for that inner greatness that existed deep down in there. Maybe society has suppressed it somehow, because... Right. I believe that the leadership disciplines exist in people, but socialization and the career path, the educational system is forcing people to be average. I mean, that was the thesis of my book. And that's why I felt like I needed to write it because here they are going through your coaching and they're able to bring it out. Well, why can't they bring it out without the coaching necessarily? So I was hoping that I could write a book that would do that. Yes, right. And I, I noticed that your your mission is to help people succeed. And, it is. Uh, that's your purpose. Uh, that is my purpose in life. <laughs> that really that really comes out so clearly in your your book. You know, you really your examples about how you've helped students. You know, if you like, get out of their own way. Really, isn't it? Like sometimes that's my experience with coaching people. But this is another good way to put it. Yes, they are tend so to be much. our own worst enemy. Yes. You know, we tell ourselves some kind of story about we can't do We all do it. You, know, yeah, you wrote about the imposter sy- syndrome. So that, that is the yeah. thing. Why would people want to listen to me? That's the common thing I hear. Why would, yeah. what would I say that is new? Yeah. I say it's not what you would say that's new. It's how you say it. That's going to be new because you have a unique voice and a unique way that you're going to present this material. Using your inner greatness and your style and then to your community, to your sphere of influence, because that's what I'm doing. Everything that I'm teaching and everything that you're teaching in terms of leadership and bringing this empowerment and empowering others and all that, this literature has existed for years and years, but it will still take your coaching, your approach and all that to get that greatness out of people. And yours too, yes. And I like that uh, our focus is in the tech area. You're you're working with cyber students that you're you know helping and teaching, and uh, I think that's just such a great area. Like uh, it's really the cyber people who are going to help us keep the world safe. And I really admire the, the work that people are doing in this uh, profession. And right. So I'm know, not doing only the technology people. I actually believe that every business executive, every human being has to adopt technology in their both personal and business life. They have to do it in order to succeed in the future. So what I'm doing is 
empowering people through technology and helping them understand that they can build their brand by exploiting technology, both in their business and personal life. If you notice it in the book, that's what I talk about. I even talk about the specific technology they could use for good video conferencing, or maybe what microphone they should yes. use, or even what software yes. they should use to edit voice or, or video and things like that. Because yes. I wanted people to adopt the technology also. And I believe that technology today is so ubiquitous in every kind of discipline, every kind of organization, every kind of human being, that if we don't do that, the people that are not going to do that are going to really, really fall behind and they're going to not earn their full potential. I agree with you. And look, the, your ideas are applicable to people in all walks of life. Uh, as are mine, it's just that that's the group that I've targeted. Yes. Uh, I think is in most needed support. The, the technical people with the technology background often don't get much in terms of leadership development. Mm -hmm. tend to get thrust into jobs and think or swim, really. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're in sales or marketing and other areas, you, you tend to get a bit of... Uh, development and investment in your development. So mm -hmm. it says to me that people with a technology background have got to do the investment themselves, really. Think of yourself as a business of one and adopt some of the ideas in, in your book and, and in my book about how do you reinvent yourself as a leader. Mm -hmm. Often the people that uh, I work with have come from a strong technical background. Mm -hmm. They grew up really as problem solvers, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just loved um, you know building computers and automating all kinds of processes, and they're doing it from a young age. Took all the math science subjects and mm -hmm. got into a career and specialised in some area and kind of grow vertically in that specialty area and get really well known for it. Build a brand, if you like, as that great problem solver. And often, what I see is the reward for that is that uh, then. Uh, they tend to say to people, well, you've been such a good problem solver, we're now going to make you a leader. Mm -hmm. And then get thrown into the job with not much uh, support for how do, you, how do you now build your influence as a leader? Mm -hmm. And so that reinvention that I talk about, the first part of moving up the influence curve, I think is about how do you reinvent your inherent strength? Let's say it is problem solving. Mm -hmm. How do you now reinvent it? What I mean by reinvent it is now apply it to the new problem. Mm -hmm. so the new problem is how to get other people to solve problems. Mm -hmm. Does it make sense? Mm -hmm. So the job now is to reinvent that inherent strength you have of problem solving. But instead of solving all the technical problems, your new problem is how to get other people to solve problems. And that's a really complex mm -hmm. problem. Mm -hmm. People in relationships, complex problem. Mm -hmm how do you go about evangelizing and gaining more supporters and how do you engage with your supporters? You've kind of seen the way I do it. How do you do it? Yes, well, uh, I mean, a couple of things that I do are similar. I've got a regular blog post once a week. I put out a leadership update and mm -hmm. try to talk about some of these topics. LinkedIn is probably the area where I'm the most active. Um, welcome anybody who's on this call or who's uh, listening in later. And welcome to Connect on LinkedIn. Uh, I tend to post about three times a week on LinkedIn. Again, short stories, examples of people's breakthroughs in leadership, mm -hmm. something practical. Mm -hmm. Like you, I try to give people valuable content that they can use straight away. So, mm -hmm. you know, I don't believe come and see me and pay for my program is the only way that you're going to get any value. I think 
you, I notice you're very generous in giving away value to people. And mm-hmm. I, I follow a similar philosophy. I think it all works out in the long run. Yes, it certainly does. It is absolutely wonderful that you came and chatted with us, Brian. Thank you Thanks, very much, Matthew. Brian. Thank you, Matt. It was great.